You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. This is Counterculture on Reality Check Radio. I am Marie, and joining me now, star of TikTok and Twitter and Plain Sight, it's Auntie Hey Hey, Karina Shields. Welcome to Counterculture, Karina. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Marie. Oh, I'm delighted to have you. You've been on my list for such a long time, and it's so good to talk to you. We've been having a chat before we we started, it went live with us, but let's talk about first Albert Park, because I know that you were one of the first people Paul Brennan spoke to when we launched RCR. What's, how has it been since that day in March to now? Things have gotten a lot better for me. Um, in those initial couple of weeks, there was a lot of fear. I stayed home a lot. There was a lot of anxiousness every time I went out in public. But things have settled down. And what I've found is that my biggest supporters have been men. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see how many men have actually stood up and supported me since then. I am flooded with messages every day to make sure that I'm okay to stay on track, look after myself. And I'm just Mm. like, wow, okay. It would have been nice if all of these men were there before. Yeah. But it's good to see that you're here now. And so they have just helped to amplify my voice so much more with their support. I mean, you have been doing this for a few years now. Talk us through some of the trolling and online bullying. I mean, how have you gotten through it? It's great to hear men's voices, but how has it sort of ebbed and flowed in that time for you? Things have gotten a lot better for me, especially since joining Twitter. Before that, TikTok is one of the most vile platforms to be on, right? You need to have nerves of steel to actually stay there because the attacks are so much more horrific than any other platform that I've been on. And so I have learned by just staying focused on what I need to, trying not to overreact. At the end of the the day, I'm still human, right? And so there are times where I bite back probably a bit harder than I should. But I've learned from doing that, a lot more people have become vocal. Like just in the last two weeks, I've gained another thousand followers on TikTok just from the conversations that we are having around politics and understanding different things. And so I'm just like, wow, the conversations are actually starting to flow now. Where they weren't before, it was just a lot more attacks. So let's backtrack for listeners that haven't heard you before, haven't heard Auntie Hey Hey. So how did it start? It started off back in 2020. I started addressing state housing issues for my parents. They had a lot of maintenance issues that weren't being addressed. And I said to mum, why are you not getting this done? Why are you not getting it sorted? She's like, they don't care, nobody's listening, they don't do the job properly. And so I was like, right, make me your agent, let me get on top of everything. It took two years to get to the end of that journey. In the end, I needed to get MP help. It was because of Brooke Van Belden that these issues actually started getting addressed. And even then, it took a year to get her attention. And so it kind of escalated from there where I was seeing that There were other people who were affected by these state housing issues as well, and they weren't being addressed. And what I was finding from conversations with people is that they were scared to say something because they thought if they lived in a state house, they were going to get kicked out for complaining. 
if they were on a benefit that was going to get cut off if they were complaining. And so those fears for people were very real. And I was like, right, I don't live in a state house. I don't receive a benefit. I have a voice that can be used to help other people who feel like they don't have a voice. And so I ended up starting a Facebook page and I put lots of housing information on there. And then all the COVID stuff started and I started taking a lot of that on as well, talking about a lot of that um, because of my own concerns. And then everything has just snowballed from there, from state housing. We've talked about COVID and food issues and how to get food grants. And we are starting a great big conversation around corruption and money and things with John Tamahiri and Tifano Order. So I have managed to cover a lot of topics with people, but it was basically started off with mm. state housing. And isn't it interesting with state housing? Because as a landlord, which essentially the state is, okay for me, but not for thee. You know, yeah. if yeah, so other landlords have to abide by all these rules and then but the state themselves are the world's yeah. worst, the worst landlords. Yeah, mm. the worst landlord in the country. And they're the landlord with the most vulnerable tenants. The biggest landlord with the most vulnerable tenants under them. That lack of accountability from them isn't okay because our kids are the ones that are suffering by living in these houses with black mould and really, really cold houses for some of them. Yeah, yeah. Let's sort of talk about, because you did touch about that in terms of with the vulnerability, and one of the things that I've really picked up from you is in terms of your wisdom and pushback around the current narrative, particularly for Māori. One of the questions I have is, do you think Māori currently are having a bit of an identity crisis? Absolutely. We have got a lot of our younger Māori these days who are falling for current government narratives where they believe that all problems within Māori have only existed since Pākehā have arrived. But the reality is, is pre-colonial times, we were fighting each other for land, for food, for power. But it's something that isn't talked about because if we do talk about it, then it is deemed racist. Because I'm part Māori and I'm from both I'm from, on both sides and I know that the two tribes that my family are from, it's Te Rawara and um, Ngāti Pro. so there's not a lot of good blood there <laughs> from back yeah. in the day. And, and when I used to hear those stories, for, particularly from my um, the Ngāti Pro stories because they obviously weren't very fond of their northern brethren coming down and uh, reaping havoc around the east coast. So we would hear these stories when I was a kid and and it's almost like a, um, a re writing of history you know it's like you're not allowed to talk about these stories anymore in, in certain company that's exactly what it feels like it's a rewriting of history and, and it's ignorance to it and I think it's not helpful to anybody especially Māori if we aren't being absolutely real with ourselves and everyone else we actually need to look within our own and start that healing process from within how are you seeing it? I'm seeing the rise of almost this Māori oligarchy, you know, with this Māori elite. And they're all saying that they're doing this for the people, trying to speak with a single unified voice, that they they speak for all Māori. 
And yet most of them have been raised in fairly affluent households, university educated, very top jobs, haven't actually probably gotten their hands dirty a day in their lives. And they've essentially gone from high school to university activism straight into positions of power. How do you look at when you see that and you think, how could you get so out of touch with what's going on? Uh, you know, it's absolute bollocks what I am seeing at the moment from some of these more affluent people. And if they actually took the time to listen to their own, we know who is and isn't doing the work. And we know that it's those that are at the top, the likes of John Tamihere and Calvin Davis, Willie Jackson, Rawiri. We know that those are the people who are making money off us. It has been a hard road to try and combat that. There have been a lot of conversations just yesterday that I've been having on TikTok around some of these issues, and people are actually getting a lot more vocal about things. You know, they're saying things like, to Haitia is not their king, especially if you are from the north. Mm. That's a lot of the comments that are coming through on my on my TikTok is, to Haitia is not our king. Well, there, there has always been an uneasy peace, though, from, from those tribes in the north to Tainui. Yeah. I mean, that, that is nothing new. Yeah, but it's not been acknowledged, mm. you know. It is, it is not being acknowledged, and the narrative is, is that everybody gets along and that we all speak the same language. And I'm like, no, see, I'm one that doesn't agree with compulsory trail because I look at it as, Whose bastardized Pakeified version of Te Reo Māori are we are we speaking here? Are we trying to teach when different tribes have different dialects? Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, there's so many places we could go with this, Karina, honestly. So to, right. so talk <laughs> so talk me through been talking very much around the Māori role and encouraging people off the Māori role. What is your reasoning behind that? So Basically, the Māori role, you don't even need to be Māori and you don't need to speak Māori to stand as a Māori seat candidate. And so for me, I look at who stands in these Māori seats and they tend to be left-leaning parties, the Greens, Labour, anti-party Māori. And for me, I'm like, that's not really a lot of options. If you don't need to be Māori and you don't need to speak Māori to stand in a Māori seat, then what is the point of me staying on the Māori role. And what I do know is that the Māori role and the census is how they determine the number of Māori seats there are in election cycles. And what I've noticed is that there is a great big push to try and get more Māori onto the Māori role, something that has only recently come into law, by the way, because our option wasn't meant to be until 2024, but laws changed to allow Māori to change at any time. Yes, that's the jumping on and jumping off as opposed to making the decision once every five years. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that's the one. So that was a, a law that just came into effect in March. And so there has been a great big push to try and get Māori on the Māori role and doing the, the census. And I think a, a lot of that is to do with they are trying to increase the number of Māori seats. That's yeah. what it is, especially when bribes are starting to be offered. <laughs> it was certainly around the census, as I said to you before, I'm here in Hawke's Bay and a lot of money was spent. Uh, we, I think, had one of the lowest census returns in the country. Now, to be fair, cyclone, but I think people got to a point where they looked at, I don't think they saw the relevance 
in the census and a lot of the questions being asked in the census, I, I just kept thinking, what, are you, what information are you fishing for with this question? Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I'm looking at John Tamahida and White Parada because they're local to me. They're offering things like Nike shoes and custom clothing with people's area codes on it. You know, that's all big money. Nikes aren't cheap. And they're offering these things to people to do the census, whereas the law says you have to do the census or you could get a fine. Why are we not pursuing the law? Why are we offering bribes instead? Mm, yeah, exactly. Have you seen just in the last few days Rawari fighteries over in France? Yes. Having a grand old time by the look of it. Yes, I did see that. I got seen videos and I'm just like, yeah, okay. And for listeners that haven't seen it, I'm talking five-star hotels, premium meals. What are they even doing over there? Yeah, exactly. What are they doing over there? There's a lot of work here that needs to be done. You can see the Eiffel Tower from the room that they're sitting in or that's staying in from the videos that I saw. Like, wow, lucky yeah. for some, right? Yeah, lucky for some. Certainly very lucky for some. So you're doing some work now, you said, in some investigations. I don't know whether you're able to talk about this more, but in regards to the back end of what's been going on with Te Pāti Māori and also John Tamahiri, because he seems to have a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. He does. He is Te Pāti Māori's president. He is the chief executive of Te Whaipareira, um, Te Ora. Te Ora were actually the ones that went to court back in 2021 to get the details of unvaccinated Māori in the North Island. And so that's how I got involved with all of that, is because I'm not signed up to Whaipareira Services, but I started getting phone calls from them about being jabbed. I told them I wasn't going to do it until I had more evidence. And when they gave it to me, when it was out of trial phase, then I would reconsider it. And then didn't hear nothing from them for a long time until all of this bad weather started kicking off earlier in the year. And then I got a text from my operator doing a weather check-in with me. And I was like, but I'm not a client of yours. Well, at the end of that text was, hashtag stay safe, hashtag get vaxxed. And so for me, that raised a lot of questions around, okay, I know Tifana Water went to court for the details of unvaccinated Māori. Are you now using my personal details to contact me outside of the scope in which you were given those details? And I would have thought that that was a breach of the um, Privacy Act. Yes. So I have done Privacy Act requests to see what information to find out what to hold on me. They are over a week late in meeting their deadline, so I have gone back to the Privacy Commissioner to get more advice about how do I get this moving forward. But it is definitely something they have got me doing the runaround on. I just checked this morning because I was in the middle of writing an article today and I jumped on Facebook to have a look at Waipareda's Facebook page. I've been blocked from their Facebook page. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I just get the feeling there's a lot of money changing hands to provide services and to be appear to be providing those services. Yeah. yeah. Back when John and Tifano Water went to court for the details of unvaccinated Māori, 
was around the same time that $120 million funding was made available for Māori vaccinations, the acceleration. And so $60 million of that was set aside for the vaccination program and $60 million was set aside for incentives. So there is definitely... $60 million yeah. was put and aside was for a, incentives. Yep, that was from a government press release that I read from October 2021. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. See, I'm from Gisborne originally, and I know up there that the amount of money that flooded into that area to increase vaccination rates was intense. And I know someone that works within the health sphere there, yeah. uh, within a government department, and they were working very hard to keep their unvaccinated status, but they were looking down the end of actually having to walk away from a 20-year career in order to do so. I said to her, how are they doing it? And she said, fear. Yeah. Fear. Yeah. They have been playing on people's fears. People have fallen for it. The, the coercion that has gone on to get people to take this, and what I've found anyway is that that was just the beginning of the huge division that we are seeing in the country right now. It started then yeah, with this whole jabbing thing, and it has just gotten worse to where now if you don't agree, you're racist or you're transphobic. Conversations well, have been getting shut down for a long time. I'm glad you brought up the division because one of the things that I'm seeing, I'm part Māori, but I'm also part of a whole bunch of other things as well. So for me, the fact that I am part Māori is part of the fabric of who I am. It's not all of who I am. But with this new racial identification that the new idea, you know, the current ideology, they want you to almost pick out this one part of you. And that is the part that you identify as instead of actually allowing you to be that individual that you choose to be you have to almost like no I have to be Māori and in the recent days we've now seen information come out around health where doctors are so concerned because they're now being instructed that you need to push people through who are Māori and Pacifica on the list in terms of selection for surgery. I mean I've been banging on at my parents, my parents are of an age, I've been banging on at them probably easily for the last four or five years. I keep saying to them, look, I know you don't want to do it, but you're getting frustrated. You need support. You need treatment. You need help. You're going to have to tick the Māori box. It's the only way you're going to get it. Yep. And, and there are a lot of people who are doing that same thing. A it is, lot of people are starting to do that same thing. And I'm just like, well, do what you got to do. This is what they wanted. They wanted more Māori, so now they've got it. Now what are they going to do with the new problem that they've created for themselves? Mm. And that division too, because to me, all this does is create more division. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that is the intention. I think they're intentionally trying to keep us divided because if we do actually get together and sit down around the table and have some honest conversations, we might actually start solving problems. For me, there is money to be made in poverty. You look at over the last five or six years since Labour have been in, they've spent over a billion dollars on emergency housing. A billion, with a B. A billion dollars to keep people housed in motels and in adequate buildings. 
Yeah, it's just so wrong. And what are, in terms of outcomes, what, are you seeing any of the outcomes on the street and from people that you're speaking to? Not positive ones at the moment. I have seen not far from me, they did knock down a whole bunch of houses and people got moved out of them. I have seen that they have started building houses and people are moving back into them again. But whether that is a kind of order development or whether that has gone through private, I couldn't say. There are still a lot of people near me because there is a church a few minutes up the road and they are constantly doing community meals for people. So I can't say that anything that the government has done or is doing is actually helping people right now. I am seeing a lot more people who are worse off. I am seeing working families ending up in motels because they can't find a house to live in. So Lisa, I mean, let's talk about some of those families that are really on that breadline. One of the things that I found with in terms of the ideology and just all the bullshit that goes along with it, I find that those people that are on that breadline, that they don't have time for all that rubbish. How did they view the kitty tapus and the mecha factories and the rawiris and what are they seeing? Are they seeing people that are there representing and helping them or are they seeing people that are not helping them whatsoever? No, they are seeing sellouts. There has been a lot of talk about these people not helping their own. There has been a lot of now a lot more pushback against the likes of Rawiri. Te Pāsi Māori and John Tamahere Rawiri and Debbie, those three seem to be the ones that people talk about the most and have a lot of distrust for. Out of everybody in Parliament, it seems to be that lot there because they are so demanding. They don't know how to collaborate and they spend more time talking about the hats and ties than helping their own people get food on the table and, and into houses. And people have noticed this. They don't have very good feelings about a lot of Māori representation mm. at the moment. Before we got started, we were talking about schooling. We had to wait to get started uh, because to try and prevent as much noise as possible with kids coming and going. The strike days, I mean, that is stressful for any family in any household. But if you're someone who, where your housing is uncertain or school is often the one place that the kids have an ability to see a pathway out, but now that is so drastically under threat. What sort of pressures and anxieties are you seeing with the children? Within my own, I am seeing severe mental health issues. I know of another boy that one of mine goes to school with. His parents want to pull him out of school as well, but they don't have any other option of what they can actually do with him during the day because people have bills and things. And so there are a lot of people who are stressed about what is in the curriculum, what is being taught to our kids. They are stressed out about having schools, having a go at them for the low attendance, yet schools seem to be able to have days off when it, whenever it suits them. You know, these constant strikes, I think teachers are finding that they're going to have less and less support as these strikes continue to go on. Yeah, the frustration factor for my boys is certainly starting to peak because they are worrying about getting 
time in to be able to get credits on the table. And also the, the one thing school provides for so many of these families is an organised structure for a day, you know, that they've got something that they get up for, they go out, they, they get to school, they have, hopefully it gives them an opportunity to strive, they can uh, express themselves. But if you take all of that away, and some of these, you know, family structures aren't healthy. So to actually having these kids have more time in the home is not necessarily healthy as well. It is, wow. yeah, it's quite concerning. I'm just to cycle back to some of the posy stuff and particularly with women. Have you seen uh, John Hopkins? The, the, John, it's always, when it, any of the stuff goes down, it's always John Hopkins. Uh, it came out with their new glossary and it looks like women have been erased from the glossary. Have you heard about this? I haven't yet. I, I have heard about it, but I haven't actually read the glossary itself. Yep. The glossary is, um, this is really, I'm going to read it to you because I think you're going to find it quite interesting. But So they've gone and created a new glossary. In the glossary, under gay man, it is a gay man, a man who is emotionally, romantically, sexually, and affectionately, or relationally attached to another man, or other men, rather. So that is the definition of a gay man. Lesbian, on the other hand, is a non-man attracted to non-men. So we're non-men now. When, well, um, according to them, there's been yeah. such a furore that they have actually now taken the glossary down. Are you seeing an attempt to try and erase women? See, now that glossary there reminds me of the Ahiwihungi glossary that came out and that whole thing of his that was taken down. And I'm like, this glossary of made-up words that they are trying to put in as Māori culture, those aren't words that we had. And so, yeah, I think that they are trying to erase our women and they are using Indigenous cultures to try and do that. I'm just looking up, and I'm glad you brought that up in terms of the language, because I know I had this conversation with Dailandi around the, the evolution of language. And so they talk about it's important that languages evolve. But one of the things that I'm certainly seeing with the with the Māori language is that it seems to be there's, there's a new word that's made up all the time. Um, I'm, just, I'm just trying to find it. There we go. Pōho Kereru. Did you see that one for uh, Pride Week for the schools? Yes. Well, it's just like, and I couldn't, and I didn't get it to begin with. I saw it, and I'm like, what's a big fat pigeon got to do with pride? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a changing of language and erasing of history, and I'm just like, really? No, we need to stop. We need to actually just get real. And what I'm finding is it's a lot of the young ones who have been enabled by the government to do this kind of stuff. You know, the government are driving these narratives and putting ideas in their head, and it's just like, no, at some point the adults actually need to stand up and tell the kids to sit down and actually listen before they engage their mouths. Yeah, it's time for the adults to enter the conversation. Yeah, that is so, so true. So what are you seeing now? You wrote a really fantastic piece just recently, and you were talking about the silent majority, and it was a really wonderful, thankful, optimistic piece. Talk me through that. That was on plain sight, because I really did enjoy that, and I think our listeners will enjoy it too. That actually came out a lot more personal than I had intended it to be, and it ended up being... A thank you. But what I have found is that 
it was a thank you that needed to be done at that time. And so today I have just finished doing a follow-up to that piece where it talks about the things that I have noticed and how I've noticed that people are getting a lot louder, they're becoming a lot more vocal, they're saying things that are opposite the mainstream narrative. I was talking about in the article about how I have seen so many Māori succumb to the government narratives over the last three years, and I couldn't understand it because as a people, we've always had a huge distrust of governments. But now that things are starting to come out into the open, I'm seeing that level of distrust return. Mm. And so my TikTok at the moment is just constantly blowing up. I cannot keep up with the notifications, the conversations that are being had, despite there being a few trolls amongst the comments, for the most part, people are actually having these real conversations that I've been trying to get them to have for a long time. It has been an absolutely amazing journey just to see so many people who have been so afraid to say things now start to open up and and talk about wanting to post on their own pages and start being more vocal themselves about things that they have experienced. Why are they fearful? Are they fearful because of the trolling and cancellation or are they fearful that they will have funding or more detrimental effects happen to them? Like there's that threat of losing financial support. For some, it is fear of losing their jobs. I've had that told to me a few times. For others, it is the fear of backlash and trolls just having a go at them. Some are fearful of doxing. So there are a range of different reasons why people have been too scared to say things. Some just feel like they don't know how to say what they mean. Mm. And so they just say nothing and they just click like because it's it's easier for them. Yeah, hapu. I mean, as you know, everything comes back to hapu, comes back to that that group. Let's protect the hapu, but every hapu is different. So how one does it is not the same to how another does it. That can be different in a single tribe or around a single marae. It can be different from one region to another. But there's always that protection, you know, family first. And now it's um, there is this. It's almost like a, a virus of victimhood that has crept in, and a lot of that has come from outside. So it's not from people that have that connection with whānau. Are you finding that? Is is it an observation you've had? That is an observation that I've had. I I look at a lot of people and I'm just like, how did we get to this? Like, this this isn't who we are and, and what is going on here? And I keep going back to, okay, there's either a lot of fear or there is a lot of money that is changing hands around everything that is happening in this country right now. I'm just bewildered by some people, absolutely bewildered by what I am seeing. Mm. So if people want to hear and see more from you, where are the places, if they've, they've not heard of Auntie Hey Hey before, this is the first time they're hearing of the work and the things that you've got to say, what are the places that they can find you? Twitter and TikTok are my two main ones, and they are the ones that you are most likely going to get a response from. So on Twitter, it is Auntie Hey Hey, and on TikTok, it is Auntie Hey Hey 3.0, and that is because the level of censorship on TikTok means I have gone through a few accounts now. 
<laughs> wow. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And also to the plain, in plain sight, you've been writing and quite regularly. Sight. Yeah. So I do have my sub stack and I do have plain sight, but for the most part, plain sight does publish all of my sub stacks. Dane is a really cool guy and he has been really helpful in helping to amplify my voice and get things out there. Awesome. Yeah, yes, I know I'm working on Dane at the moment because I want to talk to him here. So if you're talking to him, you tell him that I said I need him. I, he's I got, will. We had a chat uh, a couple of weeks ago and we were on the phone for about 45 minutes and I said, Dane, if you just let me press record, we could have had this all done and dusted. He's a fascinating we, yeah. man. Yeah. We had that same conversation. He rang me one day. And we had this full-on conversation because he wanted to interview me and he's like, you know, we could have just hit record and it would have all been done. I get what you mean. He is a very talented man and one whose brain you need to pick. He's uh, one of the founders of Plain Sight. So you can, I think it's just plainsight.co.nz. And as you said, Auntie Hey Hey on Twitter and Auntie Hey Hey 3.0 on TikTok. Thank you so much, Karina. It has been such a joy to speak with you. Don't go away. We've still got plenty to come here on a Reality Check Radio. Woke Word of the Week is yet to come. Uh, Marty will be here up next with Media Matters. Don't disappear. And if you've got any feedback whatsoever, that text number is 2057. You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Reality Check Radio.